I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What is going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means that you are certifiably awesome. If you don't know me by now, my name is James Milley. I'm the managing partner and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the U.S., and one of the top resources for all things art, artists, and marketing of your art. Today, we've got Nina Blumberg here with us on the mic. Nina is going to share an awesome masterclass with you today on how to use an art advisory and run a successful Instagram account. I don't know about you, but I'm so excited to hear what she has to say. But first, I've got an amazing offer here just for you ADP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and not sure about the next move for your career? Good news, those days are over. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine art fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we are offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. So we are back here with Nina Blumberg, and we are ready to change the way that you think about your art career. Nina Blumberg is an experienced art advisor living and working in New York and has been running the popular at Artstagram with two underscore Instagram accounts since 2015. Nina's education led her to pursue a role that sits between the historical and contemporary art worlds and has propelled her to the forefront of collaborative advising. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan, Nina. Thanks for having me, James. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. Before we dive into it, Nina, uh, I want to ask you something to help our listeners get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? I would say like growing up, my mom was always really good about like I would go to summer camps and I'd always do DIY projects. I would make my own little clay items and she'd help me cook them in the oven. You know, she was very good about fostering a creative side. And then They also definitely, my mom and dad both took us to museums a lot as kids. And I think that started an interest in it at a young age for me, for sure. That's awesome. And I feel like a lot of the times when we have people that have like an art history background on the podcast, they have this early memory of museums. So uh, that's very cool that uh, (laughs) your mom fostered that when you were a kid, just like being creative, going to museums. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nina. And let's go ahead and jump into the rest of our questions. So first of all, you work at Samuels Creative, which is an art advising firm. Who exactly can benefit from working with an art advising firm? And what type of projects do you work on? It depends on if you're looking at it from the side of someone who wants to collect art or the side of, you know, an artist who sells art. And I mean, typically the art advising model is basically like real estate agent, but for art. So the art advisor works between 
auction houses, galleries, and even sometimes directly with artists. And then we help our clients buy and sell fine art on the other side. So we take a commission. I mean, maybe people have different models for that, but we work on commission and we help our clients. And then when we make, when we make a transaction, that's how the money is made. We take a commission on that. So in terms of who can benefit, I will say it's more common for us to work with the galleries and auction houses as a liaison or, you know, a representative of our clients. But my boss loves going, like we go to, we go on studio visits. She fosters direct relationships with artists all the time. Actually, we have an ongoing relationship with the Park Hyatt Hotel in New York. She curated the whole hotel, like all of the rooms, the lobby, and then they have this beautiful giant living room. They call it the living room, which is their restaurant and bar and the art in there. She also curated. And we recently, she just came across this artist, this French artist, her name's Sophie Kitching. And we contacted her from like, she found her on Instagram, we contacted her uh, directly. And I think she has gallery representation in France right now. But in the United States, she kind of is starting to establish her own She's still, you know, emerging. So we reached out to her directly and she was very interested in working with us to work at the park, like to have work at the Park Hyatt. And uh, so I think in terms of working directly with artists, it happens. So we work on, you know, hotel projects. We have done some stores in the Upper East Side. It varies. She actually helped a poet produce a book I would say that's why she named it Samuel's Creative because she didn't want to limit it just to art collecting privately. She wanted to kind of be able to branch out into these other corporate and creative projects if they came along. So I think that probably covers it all. Yeah, yeah. I really like what you were kind of mentioning about just the model of the art advising firm. Let's say an artist is kind of focused on selling their own art, like being like an independent artist. We do encourage them to work with galleries on a non-exclusive basis. So art advising firms are kind of like another opportunity for an artist to be getting their work out there, having another um, stream of income opportunities, whatever, <laughs> whatever you'd like to call it, like for uh, just as another way to get their art out there. So I think that's really cool that that you work with both, you know, galleries and auction houses, but also artist directly when it makes sense. But that's, that's really cool with the, the hotel. Uh, you said it's the the Park Hyatt? Yeah, it's the Park Hyatt New York, which I mean, there are Park Hyatt's all over the world. And I think as a hotel brand, they are very focused on, they want to be known as a hotel brand that cares about the arts and supports the arts. Yeah, they're, they're a good one to know, I guess, because I think a lot of their different hotel locations have kind of good art collections and try to foster support of the arts in the local communities around them. Absolutely. Just in your experience, so with, I guess, both collectors, but also if it's a, a hotel, a company, do those collectors and companies come to you knowing what they want to look for? Like, do they have a vision usually, or are they looking to you to really show them what they want? I would say it's definitely a mix of both. I think the relationship is open and ever changing. So I, I would say like when it comes to our private collectors, often when they're new, they don't have as good of an idea of what they want. They, you know, they have a budget, they have certain spaces that you're looking at. And like, you may, you know, if they have an interior design aesthetic, you're, you don't need to like, ma it's not about matching, but you definitely are working within a space and want everything to look 
put together and everything to harmonize with the furniture and the wallpaper and all of that. But I would say once we do have some more seasoned collectors that once they start get their feet wet and that we have some that have been in the game for years, a decade, that they start to get a really good idea of, they start to develop a deep knowledge about art themselves. And since that a lot of them, you know, they're building a wide collection, they'll kind of base it off of what they already have. Or I would say it's just a range. Like, you know, when we have new collectors, they often have no idea what they're doing. So that's where they look to us to kind of be like, you know, this is this is what will be a good investment of your money for that particular space. And when it comes to the hotels, I would say, again, they don't usually really know as much about art because those, those, the people at the hotels are tend to be like, you know, a marketing person or, you know, we're liaising with someone that probably doesn't have as much about of knowledge about art. So we're definitely usually the expert in those situations, but they might have like a bit of a trickier budget where they have a certain amount of money, but then they have all of these different rooms to fill or they have, you know, like, so it kind of just like, you have to be open and flexible. For example, we've worked with one collector who was a food blogger, like every single artwork in her collection is either a direct or indirect reference to food and drink. So I would say that's the like, most specific and quirky, cool one that we have, but usually it's more open and it's more dependent on money and space, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Definitely what you were saying about like the private collectors makes total sense to me. I mean, I know that, you know, when I'm designing a new space and I also have a friend who um, is in the process of buying a place here in, in New York, at the very beginning, it's like you have so many ideas and you don't really know what to, to key in on. But once you kind of have a few statement pieces like in your collection or, or design pieces, then the rest of your creative decisions with your space kind of branch off from that. So it makes sense that when you're working with a collector or, you know, like working with a new collector and they're just starting to seriously invest in their collection, that they need a little more guidance at that point. But then otherwise, down the road, they they have a better sense of it. Yeah. And I think people's, I think people's tastes change. The market changes. Like the fun and cool thing about art is that it can be a long game if it's something that someone's, you know, actually really interested in and passionate about. It doesn't have to be like, okay, it's this static thing that isn't changing. Like people, I mean, it's it's sad if you're going to sell something and part with something in one way because like the nostalgia. But also I think some people, they just, it's more of like a rotation. Like they will put things in storage and, you know, take other things out. And I don't mean that in a ruthless way. I just mean that in a way of like, just like fashion changes over the years like people's tastes and art and what they're going to surround themselves with in their home changes too. And so I think that's part of collecting in a long-term sense for sure. And I definitely think if you, once, if you are starting out, you kind of have a cornerstone or something that might direct more of the space than, and then you kind of fill in the spots around it. And I think it can be a cool mix of high and low too. Like, you do have a little more money to spend, yeah, you might have one or two more expensive things, but that doesn't mean you can't also invest in um, lower price point, more emerging artist type artwork. So, an art collection, especially when it's like someone's own private collection, like I think it should sort of be this thing that evolves over the, over time. Like, like you said, your taste changes, or like you know, instead of trying to design the whole space at once, I think that makes sense for something like a hotel where it's like, you know, it's a project and and you want that consistency across all the rooms. So I think working 
one artist makes a whole lot of sense for that. But I think for your own collection, I think it makes a lot of sense to start with something and then let it evolve. And like you said, collect high and low, like with like maybe some some more expensive pieces that are like kind of the main statement pieces and then having a variety of of more emerging artists and smaller pieces or like maybe some art objects or just random objects that are combined with your collection some like design design objects versus fine art if you will precisely very cool awesome so nina i'd like to shift gears a little bit and just chat a little a little bit about cult bites which you also work for cult bites um it's an online art and culture news resource so I want to ask you, how does this position help you keep up to date with relevant contemporary art? And then how does it feed into your other roles with, you know, the art advising and also your Instagram account, which we'll talk about in a little bit? Yeah. Cult Bites is run by Anna Michaela Ekstrand. And I just want to shout out to her because she's actually a very cool art world girl. She knows everyone. She's just like a good person. I think sometimes in the art world, you feel maybe there's competition or there's not enough room at the table for everyone. And I feel like she's someone that I admire because she's literally always connecting the dots and always like down to reach out to someone and be like, okay, this has nothing to do with me, but I'm going to facilitate this. So first of all, I feel like we all need more of that in this world. But second of all, the reason why I work for her is because she is that way. And basically it came about because I was posting for Instagram and this was like probably before I even had 10,000 followers. Like I think I had a good base at that point, like four years ago, but it wasn't like where I'm at now. And she just had feet like spotlighted me. I think it was like either an armory week or a freeze week of five people to follow who will cover the fair and give you a good idea of what's going on. And it was a nice shout out. And then I think, I think we started chatting after that and I did a takeover for cult bites for the Instagram for the Armory Week. And then she actually asked me to start managing the Cult Bites Instagram monthly. Once that relationship started, I, then I kind of did some artist interviews for her and wrote a few articles. But I think my most consistent role with her is the Instagram posting. So if you go to the Cult Bites Instagram, I would say like 95% of the posts are me. <laughs> I used to like put like Instagram in the caption, but then I just if I'm honest, just got kind of lazy. And I, what's mine is hers and vice versa. Like, I don't even really care about the credit anymore, just because she's just so great. But yeah, so I managed their Instagram. And your question about how it keeps me up to date with relevant contemporary art is that I actually even more so almost than Instagram because I'm not paid directly for Instagram. That's like just my own thing that I'm doing. I'm actually I have to keep up with going to shows to post for Anna Michaela. So it's great because sometimes I'll be like, oh, I really don't feel like doing this today or it's so busy or I'm literally going out of town tomorrow and I need to go to galleries today to make sure I have content for the weekend. They they all kind of all go hand in hand. Like my full-time job at Samuel's Creative is the reason why I started Instagram in the first place because to be an art advisor, you obviously have to go see art in person and know what's in and what's trending and what's important. And I was seeing so much art and I'm such a picture taker. I had all of this content. So then I just, I made my Instagram and then my Instagram led the cult bite. So they go hand in hand very well and they all feed into one another and they all really push me to stay up to date with everything. So it's kind of helpful in that way. 
Yeah. What I'd like to focus on here is is what you were saying about accountability. And I think that having more than one thing that you do that feeds into the other things that you care about doing is, is really important. And I mean, this can apply in so many different situations, but in this case, being in charge of the cult bites Instagram, where you are having to be more accountable to going to certain shows to, to keep up to date, like, you know, that's going to, when you go to these shows that I'm sure that there's, there's times where you really key in on something that you personally love that then feeds into Artstagram and I'm sure vice versa. But I was actually talking about this with an artist the other day as well on the phone. And, um, they've been making art for, for years, but they've never exhibited it. And uh, they just signed up for Superfine. And so one of the reasons that they wanted to sign up for Superfine was because it was going to hold them accountable over like the next six months as they prepare for the show. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so great to have something pushing you that's something more concrete than just like, of course, the reason why Artstagram has gotten to the point it is, is because I was self-motivated enough to get it to the point that it is. But then honestly, who is not motivated by money? Like I'm way more motivated by money than I am by like, oh, this is fun. (laughs) Like, especially when you're busy and you have like other things going on that are, you know, feel more pressing. I made a commitment to Anna Michaela and I'm going to uphold that versus commitments to yourself that are intangible. We should all push for those. But if you have something external, like I respond so much better to an external push than I do when I'm then just trying to like push myself, which that's things we all need to work on. But Speaking from experience, I would say that the, the things that are closest to you can be the most challenging to keep up with sometimes. So, all right, well, we're going to come right back and Nina is going to tell you more about what you want to know about running a successful art Instagram account and much more. But first, a message from our sponsors. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you take the next step and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fairs. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine Fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we're offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. So Nina, Running a popular Instagram account is not easy. How did Artstagram come about and what opportunities have arisen from it? So when I first started working for Erica full time, my boss at Samuel's Creative, I was just, she would like, you know, we have an office, we work in office, but then if there's a, a lull or a slower day or afternoons, where she has a meeting or whatever, she would have me go like, you know, we have a client who's interested in this work, but we don't buy things sight unseen. So either it's just considered to be general research, or we're specifically going to see something on behalf of a client that she'd be sending me to see things. So I really got a good sense of the galleries and 
the way it all worked. And I was just taking a lot of pictures because that's just like who, like I'm that annoying friend in the friend group that's like, okay, everyone pose and like makes everyone take pictures at every stage. So it just was pretty natural to me that like, and then I guess I was just like, okay, am I going to annoy all my friends who don't care about art with this? Or am I going to make a separate space that I'm going to nerd out and not feel self-conscious about how nerdy this is? It kind of started in that sense. I was posting like twice a day in the beginning. Like I had more time because work just art is very seasonal and cyclical. There'll be very busy weeks like auction weeks or, you know, spring and fall are very busy in the art world, but summer and winter can be pretty slow. So I just, there would be days where I had time and it was just kind of a fun little passion project. I honestly did not start it to be like, oh, I'm going to like, I think this was literally 2015. So this was not even a point that there were barely like quote influencers or bloggers. Like they were like YouTube bloggers, but Instagram was still not really that sort of thing. So it wasn't like I was thinking, oh, I want to be Instagram famous. This is what, how I'm going to do it. It was just some kind of like little visual diary where I was like, okay, I'm using these pictures for something rather than just taking pictures and they're sitting there. And it just kind of started to snowball eventually with some consistent posting and engaging with people. I think anything that starts from just like a genuine interest is going to blossom and evolve into this thing that um, is this richer experience. I mean, you can definitely tell when you go to your Instagram account that you are really excited by the things that you're seeing and, and you can really get a sense of your own taste in art and, and you know, what excites you. Anything starting out from you're looking for an outlet and yeah, I mean, the, the way that you were already compiling these photos and you're like, what do I do with these? Do I just like type them to my friends and annoy them or, or uh, like, where, where can I share these with people? And I, you know, just that, that actual feeling of like, I've got to share this with someone versus how do I make a successful Instagram account? You know, that's not where it started from. It started from just, I have these cool photos I want to share. So I think that's the best place for it to start. So we've talked about art advising and galleries. We've talked about your Instagram account. So let's kind of combine the two. So in your opinion, how would you say being popular on social media is similar to gallery representation in forms of exposure? And if it's done correctly, how can social media be a type of representation for, you know, an artist or a gallery or whatever it may be? Well, I mean, I think it's in this day and age, it's free marketing. I actually have gotten brand collaboration or whatever opportunities just via DM. It's just a changing landscape of it used to be feel less legitimate or less professional to reach out to someone on social media, but it's definitely becoming legitimized as a form of proper I will say I will respond to someone faster on Instagram DM than via email just because an email I can like leave it sitting there and kind of ignore it. But a DM like I hate having the notifications. So it's always like at zero. <laughs> so like I just see them. So I mean, anyways, I, it's it's just funny because I think I think I'm kind of in the middle. Like I think in terms of I'm a traditionalist in the sense that I think it's important to see and feel art in person. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with transactions beginning or being done via DM. And I mean, like I said, Instagrams can be a visual diary. So it works really well for an artist or a gallery to be able to display their wares 
like what they're selling to someone that they can inquire. My boss will literally DM me pictures, posts from galleries or artists directly and be like, hey, can we inquire about this? And obviously we didn't used to do that. This this would be like within the last like few years. Again, we wouldn't probably purchase it sight unseen, but it's like this cool new first step of like getting yourself out there where it's just more exposure. And I think why not take advantage of the free tools that we all have? And I mean, for me, my, my role is a little different because I'm not selling what I'm posting, but it's more like, you know, of course, people more reach out for me to be like the exposure of my followers of people who are art lovers that might want to buy art related products or art books or I mean, I've done some weird collaborations where it's like wine with an artistic label. And I'm like, yes, I will take the free wine and I will post about it. I'm not above it. (laughs) But like, so anyways, obviously it doesn't have to really specifically directly, but I can't really, I'm not like selling the art. But anyways, I do think it is just a good, like I, it's almost like, why not? I think people are almost left behind if they're unwilling to kind of be their own advocate in this day and age. It's a lot. And I think there are a lot of artists who they're more creative brained in terms of they're not like a regular consistent poster habitual person. And I think that part of it can be a little tough because it is tedious sometimes. And it's not fun sometimes to just be like, like, I love going to see the art and collecting the content, but then sometimes coming back and having to sit down and like, get this content out there. Like people don't understand how much time and effort that takes. Like sometimes I'll sit there for an hour between platforms and kind of be going back and forth thinking of captions and this and that. So you do have to be a little bit disciplined on on that end of it. But I think you can make it fun. And I think people respond to like a genuine, fun, open dialogue. And so I don't think it has to be some, the good thing is that it doesn't have to be some stilted, formal way of posting, like, especially for an artist, I think your art will speak for itself. If it's great, and it's beautiful, and it's eye catching, just get it out there put the dims, the title in the caption, DM for pricing. And like, that's at least a better place to start than not doing it at all. It, yeah, better, better than not posting at all, for sure. Exactly. So I mean, I think my advice always is just consistency, engaging with your audience, letting your personality come through. Like if from a marketing standpoint, and when I'm following a brand, like say, Chipotle is hilarious on their Instagram. Like if any of you have never seen Chipotle's Instagram, you need to go this second and check it out because it just makes me smile and it makes my day. I'm like, I feel like Chipotle is my best friend. And I feel like it sounds silly, but that's the sort of engagement you want because people, they feel connected to you, even though you're a complete stranger and you feel accessible. And I mean, okay, I'm getting it a little bit into more like marketing psychology, obviously, but but I think selling anything is about that. No, no, no. I mean, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, could Chipotle have made you think of them as your best friend five or 10 years ago? Probably not. You know, a commercial wouldn't make you feel like you know them, but having them on this platform where you also have like friends and and people that you know, interacting, like you can actually feel connected to a brand that way, which is this crazy concept. But I mean, yes, it's sort of more of a marketing perspective. But like you said, Instagram and social media is free marketing, which is like, when you are advertising with with paid ads, it kind of is only beneficial as you're doing it. And then the moment you stop it, it also stops. So this is this kind of continuous ongoing thing that can build up over time. 
the other thing I wanted to, to talk about for a second is what you were saying about just the, the changing professional landscape of things. I mean, when I was, I don't know, five years ago, writing an email, I was so self-conscious of using any type of, of emoji or emoticon. Or, and, and now I feel like that's also, I mean, kind of what you're saying about Chipotle. It's like, adding that in actually makes you feel like this more approachable person and can actually be used in a professional setting, which is this crazy thing. But yeah, I mean, also just, just DMing people directly. That's something that wasn't, you know, really kosher before, but now it's it like totally a way to like capture someone's attention and, and connect with them right off the bat instead of sending an email that, that might very, very well get, ignored or or missed. And I mean, I get professional email format DMs, like it'll be like, Dear Nina, it's, it's great. It's not it doesn't always it's, you don't have to feel creepy or like you can still be professional if that's the tone or voice you want to take. I think obviously, like I said, people can tell that I'm playful and silly and an informal person. But you know, I definitely still get serious requests via DM. And I respect that. And I think it's, you just have to be able to read the room, of course, like what industries are different. I think we're lucky that the art industry has a lot of creative, talented, open-minded, fun people in it. So we can kind of take advantage of that boundary blurring of, you know, the informalities and you feel comfortable being a little less formal. Obviously, there might not be like, okay, I don't know at a hedge fund if they're like doing those sorts of things, DMing each other via email. But we're lucky that our industry is kind of growing and changing and being more open to it not being so the archaic like gentleman's club it feels like it's going in a more inclusive i mean we all obviously have a ton more work to do but it feels like it's going in a promising direction of you know just welcoming younger voices more diverse voices and that's exciting so yeah yeah i really think just finding that that balance of professionalism, but also, hey, we're all just people here. You know, like, yeah, I know exactly. I love that. Yeah, I think something that like my boss does that has always kept me loyal and working for her, like literally eight years later, is that she treats me like a human. And that sounds so basic and and crazy that some people work someplace where they don't feel like they're treated like a human, but it like a little goes a long way. Like she'll literally like, I'll be like just doing my job and she'll be like, Mina, thank you so much. You're doing such a good job. And I'll be like, Oh my God. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Like, thank you. And like, literally it makes my day. And it sounds so silly that something that small can change someone's day eight years later, but it can. And I think that's important in business relationships as much as personal relationships. And that didn't really used to be a thing, but it gives me hope that it is going more in that direction of remembering that there is a human on the other side of the Chipotle brand. And that is why we feel we can relate to them. And it's kind of this cool new thing. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, even if it is a a brand, it's still, uh, it's still a person being funny. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. cool. Nina, this has been such an amazing conversation. Uh, Let's go ahead and bring it home for our listeners out there. What is a call to action that you want to share with our listeners um, so that they can take full advantage of your art advisory or whatever it is you'd like to, to offer? Yeah, I mean, in terms of Samuel's creative and art advising, I would say it's never a bad thing to be an advocate for yourself. I think 
unfortunately, gallery representation is still important in the art world. In a traditional sense, it's still kind of a marker of legitimacy and building your brand in quotes. But like we discussed, in a great way, being your own advocate on Instagram is still this open new landscape of doing direct sales or, you know, getting in touch with collectors or art advisors directly. And I think that people should be taking advantage of that. The worst that can happen is a no or a no response. And at least, you know, you tried. I think it can't hurt to try new things and and try to be innovative and creative. And you never know whose attention you might catch that if you didn't send that email or DM that, you know, you wouldn't know. So I think that's my advice. Absolutely. Yeah. Artists, be your own advocate. Use the tools that you have available, such as Instagram, to to make that happen. And any one message you otherwise wouldn't have had that conversation, like that could be the, the game changer for your art career. So definitely put yourself out there. So to all of you business artists out there, Nina has been here with us today sharing her amazing perspective You can listen to this and all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. To connect with Nina, you can follow her at Artstagram. And again, that's two underscores at the end. And at Ninstagram, N-I-N-stagram, with three underscores, I think. Yeah. I'm so impressed. People always get that confused. Thank you. (laughs) I, I, I know this because when I was looking at your Instagram before, I put one underscore and it had like 36 followers. I'm like, probably not the right person. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Instagram, if you want to see me, like if you want to see my boyfriend and me brunching and probably drinking, but if you want to see all of the art or if you want to see both, follow both. I really appreciate it the support. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I have my art Instagram and then I have my personal one, which is mostly photos of me with my dog. Gotta, gotta show that side too. Mine uh, is me with random dogs. Anyone's dog that will take a picture with me or videos with me, I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And also, of course, you can visit artstagram.co on your website uh, to also see more there. As always, remember that we are at Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate a share whenever you're listening to and enjoying the Artist Business Plan. And of course, we'd very much appreciate it if you could take a moment of your time to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's really the main way that other artists can discover the Artist Business Plan and learn about how to make more out of their own art careers as well. And then, as always, uh, I'd like to wrap the class up by sharing a quick quote with you all. Today's quote is by Ariana Huffington, and it is, Fearlessness is like a muscle. The more I exercise it, the more natural it becomes to not let my fears run me. That's awesome. Nina, it has been such a pleasure having you here with us today. Thank you again for sharing your perspective with our listeners. And for that, we are so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so great to talk to you, James. (laughs) Back at you. Everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. 
Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Yeah.